0: now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show.
1: And another great day on this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day despite the fact that there's a troubling story about a prediction of imminent world war. Uh, Alexa, apparently. Yes, that Alexa. The one on your little uh, smart speaker. She um, she says war is coming and it's inevitable, but more to the point, so does a general in the Air Force and so does the new Republican chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, somebody else is not so sure, and it's somebody whose opinion we should take very seriously. Adam Smith has um, represented uh, the state of Washington in the House of Representatives for many years. He is the immediate past chairman and now the ranking democrat in the house armed services committee and uh, concerning the comments of some of your colleagues and the comments of general minahan predicting that fighting will come in two thousand twenty five between the u.s. and china you're not so sure uh... in fact maybe you can reassure the rest of us congressman smith
2: yeah, thank thank you michael i appreciate the chance yes I am absolutely positive that war is not inevitable and doesn't have to happen. And I I am deeply concerned about senior policymakers and senior military leaders acting like it is. It it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy if they take that approach. War with China would be absolutely devastating uh, to the world, and we should work to avoid it. And I still believe we can we certainly have significant differences, very worried about what China is doing around Taiwan and in other issues. But there are all manner of different ways to deter that um, and to find peaceful resolutions short of going to war. And I think we should all, in positions of responsibility, have that as our number one priority. Resolve those differences peacefully because the cost of the other approach, I think we can all agree, would be devastating.
1: Uh, do you do take the position, I believe, that one of the ways we can deter war with China is make sure that Ukraine uh, prevails in its struggle for survival.
2: Absolutely. Yes. I mean, look, that's why when I said how we prevent war, one of the first things I said was deter it. Um, And if Russia is able, you know, to violently change borders and basically wipe Ukraine off the map, then that gives an incentive to other dictators like, well, Putin could go somewhere else, President Xi, Iran, North Korea, there's all manner of people out there who would love to start wars to advance their aims if we showed that starting those wars does the exact opposite and actually undermines what they're trying to accomplish. And that is a powerful deterrent. And no place on the globe are we in a better position right now to offer that deterrence and by helping the Ukrainians defeat the Russians and and push them back uh, from where they are in Ukraine right now.
1: Uh, right now, uh, Secretary Blinken is in uh, Jerusalem and uh, in Ram- Ramallah, meeting with Palestinian leadership. And you met, uh, I, I believe, just. Um, Hours ago with King Abdullah of Jordan, he met with the House Armed Services Committee. Uh, How did that meeting go with the King of Jordan?
2: Well, it went really well. I mean, the King of Jordan and Jordan in particular is – I mean, they are very helpful um, leaders. They are providing helpful leadership in the Middle East. What they're trying to do is they're trying to create economic integration between the various – you know, countries in the Middle East, and you know certainly Israel and the Palestinian people, um, to build that economic cooperation, so that you can see that integration and push it away from conflict and towards a peaceful resolution. It's also important in Iraq, in dealing with Syria, um, in dealing with Lebanon, and they're trying to integrate that. Now, what what's happened in the last you know week or so? Um, you know, the the conflict when when Israel went into Jenin and did a raid against terrorists. Um, and then the you know cowardly attack on people attending synagogue in Jerusalem by Palestinian terrorists, you know that's set it back a little bit, Um, but there are efforts underway, and King Abdullah is one of the leaders of those efforts to find a more peaceful resolution, to to find common ground and work on economic advancement for everybody in that region, and in particular for the Palestinian people. This this ongoing war does not benefit the – sorry, this ongoing conflict does not benefit the Palestinian people, and, and the king is working to try to help move that in a more positive direction.
1: Uh, And uh, I would imagine that the king would also be supportive of uh, attempts that are very much part of even the Netanyahu government to try to make some kind of agreement uh, that might resemble the Abraham Accords with Saudi Arabia.
2: Yes. And I think that's an important development as well, because the other big factor in the Middle East, of course, is the malign influence of Iran. I mean Iran is trying to destabilize, gosh, probably a half dozen governments in in the Middle East, certainly in Iraq um, contribute to the chaos in Syria undermining Lebanon, threatening Israel, you know, pushing discord in Yemen. Um, and obviously also direct conflict with Saudi Arabia. And the Abraham Accords are a way for nations, like-minded um, Israel and Arab nations, that want to make peace in the region to come together, get past their you know, rather stark differences, um, and work together for that more peaceful peaceful outcome and to deter Iran. And um, the current countries that are in the Abraham Accords are positive. We want to expand that, certainly.
1: I know that in, in Congress you have always been an advocate of as much bipartisanship as possible. And as a common sense Democrat, as I believe you are, in reacting to the Tyree Nichols tragedy and horror, uh, it, it seems to cry out for some kind of bipartisan s- uh, response. Uh, what do you think you and your colleagues are going to do in that regard?
2: Yeah. Now, this real opportunity. We we do have a police, you know, a police reform bill out there. Um, it is not, sadly, even bipartisan to date. I think we should work to make it so. And look, the type of Nichols' case really makes it clear that reforming the way we police in this country is is crucial. The hyper aggressive, in your face approach, the escalation approach uh, has has led to real problems across the country. Taking a de-escalation approach, figuring out how you can work with the community makes sense. But when I tweeted about this, and I'm not an experienced tweeter, so I'm I'm not, not sure I hung this together right. But one of the points that I wanted to make was the people advocating for defund the police, the people advocating for the abolition of our criminal justice system, they make all of this worse, not better. That is not the solution to having a safe and secure community. Now, there are real reforms that need to be done in the way that our criminal justice system operates. Let's go do that, and let's get rid of this, what I believe to be extremist rhetoric about getting rid of the police and abolishing our criminal justice system. That has been a dangerous distraction from the reforms that need to happen.
1: For one thing, if you get rid of the police and you get rid of the criminal justice system, what do you do? About appropriate retribution for the officers who appear to have behaved horribly in this situation. Uh, Adam Smith, and uh, now uh, the ranking member of the Armed Services Committee with the Republican takeover recently of Congress. if you had uh, you haven't had any personal dealings with George Santos since he's arrived on the scene.
2: Not that I'm aware of. I saw him. I heard him. I walked by past him today on the floor. Actually, he was talking with someone explaining something that I didn't follow. But no, I I have not interacted with him. But then that, that is some interesting story.
1: Yes. And I'm sure you appreciate the fact that he is not on the Armed Services Committee. Uh, Adam Smith is. He is the ranking Democrat on that committee and is a very welcome voice of cooperation and reason in our politics. Uh, coming up. On uh, the Medved show believe it or not there are still arguments about whether uh, people who uh, sacked the Capitol building on January 6th deserve sympathy and support Uh, we will get to that and uh, the way that that really could have a very difficult political impact on conservatives Uh, that and more coming up on the Medved show 1-800-955-1776.
0: The Michael Medved Show. That's 1-800-955-1776.
1: There is, of course, still conversation going on about uh, January 6th and uh, there are a good many of the more uh, edgy members of the house of representatives i mean they are on the edge of the republican caucus who um, still believe that uh, the people who rioted in the capitol building 900 of whom have been indicted uh, over 200 have been tried and found guilty or have pleaded guilty made an agreement with the uh, with the prosecutors uh, and the the idea that this is still an issue uh is extraordinary to me in other words the the entire uh matter of january 6th was so frightening and so such a close run thing in terms of the the health of our democracy i don't think there would have been quote a, a fall of the government or that we were about to lose our democracy it wasn't that bad but it was plenty bad when you send 140 police officers to the hospital and uh there was an interesting exchange on msnbc between ari melber of that network and matt gates the congressman from florida and uh the the question Uh, voting together with um with the rioters uh from january 6th uh listen but there have been certifications
0: challenge before Um, but you voted to do that after you and others were run out of your place of work because of the Trump fans that Donald Trump summoned to Washington. We know how they got there. We know what they did in the morning. We know that Mr. Eastman and others wanted them to be a part of the pressure campaign to overturn the election. And so while you mention history, none of those other votes, of course, took place after a violent insurrection. And so let me ask this the the clearest way possible. And again, I appreciate you coming on and taking the questions. But if you're going to take them honestly, sir, do you not see how doing that after those people came in with the Trump flags attacking police. Where's Nancy? Where's Pence? The person you met with, Vice President Pence, was targeted for assassination by those people. Members of your caucus and the other party, who cares what party, targeted, run out of this place. And you had to come back under the threat of violence and try to hold that. That voting then, in common cause with them against certification, do you not see how people of good faith, including Republicans, if you want to be political about it, view that as different and a tacit support for part of what they did that day that it's different since you did it right after the violence and the was- you know i would reject that premise i am in no common cause with people who engage in political violence i am against it explicitly and have been consistent on that point i think what would have been really unfortunate for my constituents and a betrayal of my constituents is if i would have let a violent act or a riot change the vote that was an informed vote based on some of the concerns that I had about the election. So again, we didn't do anything different than Democrats had done not only once but literally for every Republican since George H.W. Well, we, I mean they, they I were objecting they were objecting to George W. Bush's win over John Kerry. Well sir, objecting sir, to sir, you, so you I conduct, wasn't going to change my obviously, vote obviously because, because you're of conduct riot. yourself however you choose. Uh, I acknowledge some of the things you said that are rooted in history. I don't know if you can acknowledge what I just said, which is that it was different than those examples because you just had a actual now convicted sedition insurrection. That's the difference.
1: And uh, th- there's also commentary by one of uh, Matt Gaetz's close associates and colleagues in Congress, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, she was talking about the murder of uh, Tyree Nichols, and you say murder because five of the police officers have already been indicted, or facing trial for second degree murder, and uh, she used the opportunity to talk about uh, one of the the demonstrators, uh, and uh, by the way, for somebody who served the United States in the Air Force, and uh, Ashley Bobbitt the lady's name is. Uh, she became part of the demonstration, and with a a guard, a security guard who uh, happened to be actually a member of the Capitol Police Force, who uh, happened to be African American, who was standing with a gun to prevent some of the demonstrators who were threatening death and destruction, um, be- to keep them out of the House Chamber and ashley Babbitt tried to break through the window into the house chamber well here's what uh, marjorie taylor green had to say
2: there's a woman in this room whose daughter was murdered on january 6 ashley babbitt and ashley babbitt has there's never been a trial as a matter of fact no one has cared about the person that shot and killed her and and no one in this congress has really addressed that issue january 6 committee didn't address it And I believe that there are many people uh, that came into the Capitol on January 6th whose civil rights and liberties are being violated heavily. And this committee will, I I hope uh, Mr. Chairman, look into those civil rights abuses, uh, because they're happening in a jail right here in this city. And I hope Ms. Norton uh, will will care about that as well.
1: Okay. I think Ms. Norton's there talking about Eleanor Holmes Norton, who is the delegate in Congress representing the District of Columbia. The idea that she is saying that Ashley Bobbitt was murdered and that nobody has been held responsible, if your job is to defend the House of Representatives chamber from people who are trying to break into it, And people have already destroyed uh, windows that have been chanting, hang Mike Pence, who uh, clearly are saying, where's Nancy? I I don't think they meant uh, to have a a nice constructive conversation with Nancy Pelosi. And again, and you see a guard standing on the other side of a door with a window on the top of it. And do you see a guard standing there armed, uh, clearly holding his weapon and asking you and demanding that you don't come in the idea that that would represent a murder when the members of the Capitol Police were literally risking their lives? And supporting law enforcement should uh, involve supporting law enforcement in every context against people who want to basically overturn the normal legal process and the normal legal system and the normal electoral system that we have in the United States there is a one thing that is very striking there's a new Gallup poll and the Gallup poll asked Americans to name what they considered to be the worst problem in the country and Immigration, illegal immigration, came in third. Uh, Inflation came in second. What was the worst problem in the United States, at least according to this poll? Uh, We will tell you, coming right up on The Michael Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show, all across America. It's
0: open, it's expansive, it's welcoming, it's
1: filled with
0: light. This is The Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. That's 1-800-955-1776. debate.
2: You're trying
1: to
0: stir up controversy. The Michael Medved Show.
1: And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, talking about a Gallup poll where they asked respondents to identify themselves. It wasn't a checklist. It was what do you think is the biggest problem facing the country right now? And uh, the biggest problem was not inflation. That was number two. The biggest problem was not illegal immigration, that was number three. The biggest problem people said was the government. It was a government slash leadership. It was that idea that people who even watch television proceedings like the <laughs> the fifteen ballots that it took to elect Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House who are very aware of the presence of uh, George Santos who is such a disgrace to the Congress of the United States and how I do urgently ardently uh, yearn for a time when he is um, replaced by someone who can represent the third district in New York perhaps more effectively even more effectively than George Santos the general idea that our government is not worthy of respect. There is a um, well. Actually, it it goes to part of what is going on about one of the most prominent of all politicians in America and someone who wants to be president again, uh, Donald Trump, who just took the Fifth Amendment in his uh, deposition in the one of the one of the many cases against him. This is in New York State. He. took the fist 400 times? Yeah, 400 times refusing to answer questions on the grounds that it may incriminate him. He also uh, was involved in another distinction which uh, wins him our tweets of the day.
3: Turn the page now
1: to the Internet. (laughs)
3: I mean, wow, what a great, smart tweet. Change his password so he no longer has access to his Twitter feed. Did you send the tweet? I did not send that tweet. My system was hacked. I was
0: pranked. Donald Trump hasn't tweeted at us once, and I'm starting
3: to get worried about him.
2: So we have a new tweet. All right. Can I do the honors? Stand by. Tweet alert.
1: Uh, President Trump, uh, and he's not tweeting yet, even though I believe he is uh, welcomed back. Uh, on uh, on Twitter, when he wants to, this is still part of his uh, truth social uh, uh, operation. And uh, President Trump uh, tweets or sends out a truth, as it's called, with respect to the, in quotes, stormy nonsense. It is very old and happened a long time ago, long past the very publicly known at accepted deadline of the statute of limitations. I placed full reliance on the judgment and advice of counsel, spelled wrong, by the way, who I had every reason to believe had a license to practice law, was competent, and was able to appropriately provide solid legal advice. Uh, I think he's talking here about Michael Cohen, who cooperated with the prosecutors on the idea of the hush money for stormy daniels what's interesting about it and stormy daniels herself picked up on it and sent her own message on uh, truth social answering president trump and uh, she says thanks for just admitting that i was telling the truth about everything and what does she mean well look at the wording of what trump said with respect to the stormy nonsense it is very old and happened he writes a long time ago Long past the very publicly known and accepted deadline of the statute of limitations. Okay, if he says it happened, that's that's different and very different from uh, from from what he has long maintained. In any event, she writes, "Thanks for just admitting that everything I uh, was telling the truth about everything." And she says, "Guess I'll take my horse face." Uh, he is. Called her horse-faced in previous tweets. Back to bed now, Mr. Former President, and uh, she says, "By the way, that's the correct way to use quotation marks." And uh, he, she's talking about him using, uh, <laughs> him using Stormy in quotation marks, and uh, her using uh, Mr. Former Mr. President and quotation marks. So this exchange between uh, two, two individuals here on this issue, uh, Trump uh, said uh, this whole thing is very unfair, and uh, there's we can actually play a little bit of this, can't we? Um, President Trump, uh, in a new video, was uh, pleading the Fifth Amendment at least 400 times. After claiming he would be a fool not uh, not to, in the greatest witch hunt in the history of our country, in deposition in a 250 million dollar New York fraud lawsuit, uh, Trump invoked his right not to self incriminate a whopping 400 times during his deposition with the office of New York Attorney General Letitia James. New video shows Trump said same answer. For nearly four hours the deposition was part of the Empire State's case against Trump uh, three of his adult children and his business and the fact that it, it is a um, a suit with 250 million dollars at stake might get some folks attention uh, there there is also a uh, the the little duel between which could become a big duel very easily and very imaginably, between President Trump and Governor DeSantis. Uh, Governor DeSantis had a response. He was asked uh, a question about recent criticism that he had been disloyal. That had been said by Donald Trump. Here is uh, the answer that Governor DeSantis provided, clip 13.
3: I roll out of bed. I have people attacking me from all angles. It's been happening for many, many years. And if you look at the good thing about it, though, is like if you take a crisis situation like COVID, you know, the good thing about it is when you're an elected executive, you have to make all kinds of decisions. you got to steer that ship. And the good thing is, is that the people are able to render a judgment on that whether they reelect you or not. And I'm happy to say, you know, in my case, Not only did we win re-election, we won with the highest percentage of the vote that any Republican governor candidate has in the history of the state of Florida. We won by the largest raw vote margin, over 1.5 million votes than any uh, governor candidate has ever had in Florida history. And in fact, we almost doubled the previous record, which I think was like 780,000 vote margin. And so what I would just say is uh, that verdict has been rendered by the people of the state of Florida.
1: The, uh, what he was responding to was uh, Trump's claim that the only reason he was governor of Florida was not because of anything he had done or because of his own popularity or his own achievements. It was because Trump supported him. And And by the way, that's not necessarily wrong for uh, DeSantis's first election victory when he was first elected governor of Florida, which was 2018, and Trump did support him in what was a very close primary, and uh, and then supported him in what was a very close election. DeSantis was running against a now disgraced mayor of Tallahassee. When I and I say disgraced, he was arrested with cocaine in a hotel room with male prostitutes. I mean, this is, uh, Andrew Gillum was the name of that uh, particular mayor of Tallahassee who uh, DeSantis beat. Now, I think DeSantis would have run that race anyway, but at least Trump has the right to say that his support for DeSantis at that point for his fellow Republican was uh, important and valuable. Speaking of valuable, a sign Of just a touch of bipartisanship that's actually kind of moving in the House of Representatives and on the Michael Medved show uh, there isn't always a lot of warm feeling to say the least uh, between the various sides in the Congress of the United States particularly when both the House and Senate are so closely divided uh, this is a very different situation than we've had in any other recent uh, division of the House and the Senate where it at least one side or another would have a clear majority I mean we had a tied Senate in the beginning of the Bush administration also but the Republican domination of the House was more substantial than what you have now. To have a, um, a a five-seat margin in the House, which is 435 seats, and a one-seat margin in the Senate, things are very close, and so they're often very bitter. But a classy guy, uh, Jamie Comer, who is a Republican from Kentucky, he is the new chairman of the House Oversight Committee, he's going to be the guy who's in charge of basically all of the investigations and they're doing tons of investigations on the origins of the covid epidemic and the handling of the covid epidemic and about everything concerning hunter biden we're going to i, I think we're going to probably hear much more than people even want to hear about his battles with drug addiction and um, with his ex-wife and uh... and and his uh, complicated relationship with his sister-in-law, the widow of his brother Bo. I mean, it's it's all it's all awful, and uh, it's going to be nasty. But there was a moment where the uh, Congressman Comer uh, took a moment recognizing Congressman Jamie Raskin. Now you may remember him. He played the lead role. He's a congressman from Maryland. In, uh, in, in the second impeachment of uh, President Trump. And uh, he's had a, as a few very tough innings in his life, because recently he had a, he had a son who took his own life. And, uh, and Congressman Raskin has also been diagnosed with cancer, with lymphoma. And uh, m- my dad, may he rest in peace, uh, died of after battling lymphoma for nine years and uh jamie raskin attended the hearing he was wearing a scarf he is uh, being treated and uh, this is what it sounded like at the house oversight committee with a uh, chairman comer uh, welcoming uh, his counterpart on the democratic side jamie raskin listen
0: i yield to the distinguished gentleman from maryland Ranking member Jamie Raskins to introduce his members, but first I want to publicly say, Mr. Raskins, we're all rooting for you. Uh, We know that you're going to win this battle. Uh, uh, You're in our thoughts and prayers, and it's good to see you here today. I yield to ranking member Raskin. Mr. Chairman, thank you so much. It means a lot to me, and I've been uh, gratified to receive so many kind words of uh, encouragement and sympathy from colleagues on both sides of the aisle. And uh, I hope... um, that these expressions of um, concern and solidarity will become seeds of friendship over the year. I certainly plan on getting through this thing and uh, beating it. And I thank you for your patience and indulgence.
1: And <clears throat> okay, um, that's, that's a, a much needed moment on the House floor. And uh, the, the issue of school choice is also uh, moving along and uh, uh, across the country. The, there are two issues. A- and one is the issue of state taxes. The Wall Street Journal had an editorial today about uh, how many states have actually been lowering uh, their state income taxes, reforming their tax system, reducing the tax burden on a statewide basis. And this, of course, is particularly true. Of re- Republican states. Their uh, editorial is called The State Tax Cut Movement. And uh, good news for taxpayers, or at least some of you, state houses across the country are continuing to cut taxes in a movement that shows no sign of slowing down. By year end, nearly half of all states will have cut their income tax rates within the last three years. The good results so far confirm that we're in a virtuous economic political cycle. At least six states have kicked off their 2023 legislative sessions with income tax cut proposals. Newly inaugurated governors in Arkansas and Nebraska, that of course both Republicans, uh, campaigned on rate cuts and are asking legislatures to follow through. Leaders in Virginia and Montana. Want to cut rates modestly with bipartisan support. Large GOP majorities in West Virginia and Utah are considering significant cuts after hesitating last year. Now, with all of that going on, there's also another movement that is working for the GOP. It's uh, a movement for school choice. And Governor Mike DeWine, who I think is one of the most underrated of all Republicans, he won the Ohio governorship this last time by 25 points. And Mike DeWine, in his State of the State speech, uh, spoke to the legislature and said this about the idea of educational choice. Clip 14.
2: Children have unique needs. So we want families to have the opportunity to send their children to a school that best meets those needs. That's why our budget proposal includes a historic investment in the Ed Choice Scholarship Program by expanding eligibility to families at or below 400% of the federal poverty level. This investment will allow more families than ever to take advantage of this scholarship and to find the best school for their children.
1: Okay, this would be a very significant level, uh, a very significant uh, expansion of the educational choice program in Ohio because they would be, the current level is you, you have to be uh, at uh, 250% of the federal poverty level. Uh, now it's up to 400%. And so far more people can take advantage of the EdChoice program in Ohio. And over in Nebraska, uh, Representative Mike Flood uh, spoke on the House floor, actually, the federal House floor, uh, on the issue of uh Educational
2: Choice, clip 15. We celebrate National School Choice Week. School Choice is about giving families the freedom to choose the best education possible for their children, regardless of their learning style or home address or financial situation. Every parent in America wants to give their child the best education possible, and Nebraska has great options, public, private, homeschools but not everyone has the means to access their option of choice. I believe we should fund the students, not the systems. When funding for education follows students to the school of their choice, families win. Nebraska is one of only two states in the nation that has not passed a school choice program. I'm excited about these opportunities and look forward to giving parents the choice.
1: Okay, that uh, obviously is encouraging to all of us who believe that it would be terrific if 2023 were the year of school choice because honestly when you look at the the polling and there there was a major ugov poll about the priorities that even uh, uh Republicans wanted for the new Republican majority in the house there's so many different investigations that are being put forward and uh while people do support the idea of those investigations? Americans at large do not. Even among Republicans, however, what was stunning about that situation is that in the uh, survey uh, that thirty one percent of Republicans opposed further restrictions on abortion. And uh, That that goes to the point that Nancy Mace is trying to make, which is that, uh, as Congresswoman Mace says, she's, of course, a gentle lady, is not gentle at all, really. She's pretty tough. But Congressman Nancy Mace, who I greatly respect and admire, uh, says that, look, Republicans are going to get trapped if they allow the Democrats to make a political football out of the abortion issue. And when you even have 31% of Republicans who oppose, uh, imposing, oppose imposing even further restrictions on abortion, that is an indication that if Republicans want to win the House and the Senate and the presidency in 2024, uh, they should uh, focus on issues like taxation and like school choice for the sake of the Republican Party and this greatest nation on God's green earth.